Sisters Perspectives is a forum where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The Sisters Perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sisters Perspective, where we're giving the world a voice. I am Lara Lane White, executive producer, and today we begin our three-part series on food insecurity, geography, and the African-American farmer. We are both pleased and excited to have two dynamic and unique experts in the realm of farming and agricultural law. First, she is founder and CEO of Family Agriculture Resource Management Services, better known nationally as FARMS. With 15 years of experience as an agricultural lawyer, she is well-versed in the area of civil rights as well as agricultural law. She is the author of Don't Bet the Farm on Medicaid. The Cliff Bar Company has recognized her as a food changer. She has been featured in O Magazine, The Atlantic, Vice News, Seniors.com, and more. She is attorney Jillian Hyshaw. Right next to her is Ryan Presley. Having learned farming as a boy, this professional baseball player returned to his first love of farming in 2006 when he founded RP Farms, originally consisting of more than 370 acres of everything from cattle, hay, turf grass, and vegetables and now is currently chief operator of Farm CU, a farm, a family-owned farm and produce company growing llama beans, peas, and tomatoes. I'm excited about the work you're both doing as advocates, and I'm inspired by your activism. But before we jump into our dialogue, you each have done great things to alter the landscape of food and culture from an environmental justice perspective. This occasion invites each of you to share your latest endeavors. Attorney Hyshaw, why don't we start with you? Talk to us about um, your contributions. Thank you again, Dr. White, for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and your work. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the work I do, uh, I started about 13, 14 years ago, and it primarily focuses on um, land protection of landowners, farmers of color, uh, and um I started doing just ag work in general back in 2006 at the Missouri Department of Conservation when I started a program, an urban um, ag program for inner city um, African-American males and just teaching them about farming, connecting them with uh, black farmers in Kansas and uh, also teaching them about ecology, soil science. We build uh, wetlands and city parks and we worked with Freedom Schools and just, you know, all that good stuff. But um, 
eventually I uh, transitioned and worked for USDA in um, the Office of Civil Rights for a year, which is a great experience. And then I moved to North Carolina seven years ago. And so I started Farms a little over five years ago, the fall of 2013. And um, the mission is primarily to provide um, affordable legal costs um, to particularly uh, farmers of color in the South, but now it's like all over the United States, and then uh, also uh, prevent hunger relief in the farmer's community. So we have two programs, of course, the legal services, where we primarily focus on um, aging services, elder care services of aging farmers, because across all demographics, the average age of the U.S. farmer is 60, 65, and over. So, uh, but as a country and as a world, we're an aging population. Uh, 10,000 people turn 65 each day in this country. And so that led to um, focusing on uh, protecting land against predatory abuse, uh, specifically reverse mortgage companies, uh, also Medicaid liens. And that leads into the book that um, I wrote. We're on our second edition where um, it's called Don't Bet the Farm on Medicaid. And we look at 13 states and their lien laws. You know, it goes into detail in the book, which is available on my website, JillianHighshaw.com, for sale. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then um, also, if you want to learn more about farms, uh, go to 30,000acres.org, and that's numbers, not words. Uh, And it's not three zeros, but four. And you'll learn more about our programming um, along with the food bank services where we buy produce and then we donate it. And so we've donated nearly 300,000 pounds over the past five years in eight states. Uh, And, um, yeah, so it's definitely helped. And we primarily focus on rural, high-poverty areas in, in, um, you know, in various states all across the the United States. Awesome, awesome. That is awesome work. That is awesome work. Yes, uh, yes. For the listeners, it is three thousand thirty thirty thousand thirty thousand acres thirty thousand acres. Don't <laughs> do what org. I did. Thirty thousand acres dot <laughs> org. Don't do what I did and go to the wrong website. So it's thirty thousand acres dot org. And please give. And please give. That's you have outstanding work. Thank you so much. Now, Ryan, as far as my listeners are concerned, you are a rare breed of young African-American farmers. Why don't you give us, give us a picture of the 21st century farmer uh, for our audience and, 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 and share your testimony? Well, <clears throat> thank you for having me. Uh, for the uh, 21st century African-American farmer, uh, we have evolved from uh, just... We've evolved from being uh, sharecroppers uh, to now understanding what it means to own our own property uh, and wealth building. And now we have we are evolving from uh, this being just a lifestyle, just to feed just our families, but also a business to feed our community. Uh, the generational. African-American farmer that is rural, that has acres of land, uh, has dwindled down over the years. But one thing that I'm starting to see is the younger generation, even generation before me, 
or well, generation after me now, uh, they're sticking around, and they're wanting, they're being, they're interested now, and I think they see the opportunity, the, the business opportunities uh, in in farming that has really always been there, and 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 I think that is what um, big business tried to drive away from us was to blind us to the fact of how big the business actually was and and with the population growth that it was going to boom. And another thing that I see are urban farms popping up around these big metropolitan cities as Columbia, Augusta, uh, and Atlanta as well. And they're black-owned and, and black, operator, black operators on there as well. Uh, for me, I am a rural farmer, I guess, in a sense. Uh, it skipped a generation, but I grew up on my grandparents' cattle farm in Gilbert, South Carolina, and that's why I learned to farm and, and uh, love the outdoors, grew to love the outdoors. Uh, I love to hunt. I love to fish, you know, but I can still go in town and, you know, have fun now. Right, and right, right. and even though I've, I've played sports, uh, farm. Farming and the outdoors has always brought me back to my roots. And I love, 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 love the outdoors. Now, I don't have the cattle farm anymore. Uh, I inherited, I'm sorry, I inherited that cattle farm in 2006 from my grandparents. And uh, I also bought a 256-acre sod turf grass farm in uh, 2008 in South Carolina. And then in 2004, 14 after three failed chapter 12 bankruptcies I lost both farms uh, so now my father leases a farm I operate it uh, as well as a produce company we have a warehouse in Augusta Georgia it's about 50 miles away from the farm and what we do now we process and grow lima beans peas and tomatoes so within the warehouse we shell and uh, flash, well, not flash trees, but we shell and vacuum seal our peas and beans. Uh, and one thing that, one of the biggest things that we're trying to do is to connect not only the the uh, the black farmers, but just local farmers in general, to not to a direct source, whether it be a Walmart, Kroger, our local grocers. Uh, are things that we're trying to do and doing at the present time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's that's um, that's great work that you're doing as well. And again, um, you know, a lot of my listeners they really don't have a concept of of what's going on in the, as far as the 21st century uh, African American farmers. Most of the farmers we know about, we've seen. Um, you know, we know about them maybe from a previous, either a previous generation, uh, information that's been passed down to us through storytelling yeah. or what we've seen on television or, you know, so there's, there's not a lot of awareness in, uh, about, you know, the, the 21st, what's going on with the 21st century um, farmer. And we know we are vaguely familiar with the love-hate Vaguely familiar, I use that word, vaguely familiar with the love-hate relationship between the American farmer, period, and the federal government. Um, But as far as African-Americanism is concerned, 
Uh, early plantation agriculture that we know about, most of us know about, was built on the backs of African Americans. And moving into the 19th century, the American economic process was undergirded primarily by blacks in, in agriculture, which was mostly cotton and sharecropping. But then in the 21st century, I would say that the apex of that relationship be, uh, between the African American farmer uh, resulted in a class action lawsuit against the uh, the USDA alleging racial discrimination against American farmers, especially, most specifically, in its allocation uh, of farm loans and assistance uh, between 1981 and 1996. So the evidence of the struggle between the federal government and the American farmer uh, undergirds that entire notion of, of food insecurity, which kind of brings us back to, um, you know, what we want to look at, let's talk about some solutions that you both have come up uh, to some of these historical issues that have resulted in this culture of food insecurity. What do you, yeah, you say what, Atani? Well, sure. So um, that was the, the crux of um, the Food Bank Initiative because it's basically a holistic model. Um, I don't buy, you know, the pristine produce that the farmer uh, produces, I want them to sell that, but then I buy, you know, stuff that they're wanting to get rid of that'll just, you know, rot in the field or be used as compost. And then I donate it to various hunger relief entities. And so um, it it's kind of um, not only helping the farmer, but also the farmer's community because we try to keep it in the farmer's community. Um, and we only work in, in communities that are at least 20% above in poverty and that are uh, rural only. Uh, we work a little bit um, in urban areas, but that's only within the food bank program. But um, overall, uh, you know, my primary focus for farms is in, is in urban areas with rural farmers and, you know, because rural communities don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the, the support and the dollars that urban uh, communities have. And, um, you know, you can just see it, you know, I'm sure we've all have driven through rural areas of um, Georgia and, you know, Sugar Ditch, um, Mississippi, where, you know, people are still living. Um, if you know how to grow, you won't grow hungry. And that is true. And so, um, so you know, it's definitely a gift, you know, with, with what uh, Mr. Presley has in that he, you know, he has a bit of a green thumb there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. So, okay, so, but still I say, um, you know, the, the economy of the, especially the African-American farmer is impacted. Well, the American farmer in general is impacted. When that happens, then we see it. We see it as, as consumers of their of their goods because it affects the prices, it affects accessibility, and so any type of uh, I guess I, I guess what I what I'm getting at is that any type of um, any any way that the American farmer is um, is affected um, economically, whether they have they struggle with financing, um, there's a there's an impact that happens. Uh, Particularly, you know, I'm a city girl, but I see it in the city as well. 
Uh, we don't have, especially with respect to, to access. Is there something that you want to say? Uh, sound like you want to really want to say something, Ryan. What is it? Well, <laughs> I believe, I, trying to follow, I think I follow where you're going. Um, that is one thing that I have tried, I am focusing on and, and doing with my uh, warehouse and processing is adding value to food, at, to, well, to our crops so that we can market them on different levels, whether, like with the peas and the lima beans, we can sell them whole, in the whole, or we can process them, mm-hmm. and they'll be in the, the seed, they just be the seeds in the back. And, so, and, and also, we're vacuum sealing them, so mm-hmm. it, it gives them a, a, a longer shelf life without having to add any type of preservatives to it. And that is something that, will affect the price of food. And so we can get this food into our urban communities a little easier and and, and it be cost effective for them. Uh, <clears throat> and that will give us, that, that will give the, the, the communities as you spoke of on the west side of Atlanta, uh, better quality food, even better than what they probably can get from a Whole Foods downtown because the food, the, the 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 product is being picked, and two or three days is you know on a table mm-hmm. versus you know a, a produce coming and being trucked in from hundreds or maybe even thousands of miles away. Uh, another thing that's evolving, and I think it's just the the younger generation uh, farmers, uh, if we can uh, just evolve on the 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 uh, food production in, we can have better quality food in our communities. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Thank you both for being with us today. Um, your perspectives are both unique and relevant. Now, as I sit through this dialogue and others like it, I am reminded of what I call the late Paul Harvey's eighth day creation motif on the American farmer where he says that on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. The Sisters Perspective will spend the month of June highlighting some of the social justice issues of God's farmers and those issues relative to food justice. Not only will we feature farmers like young Ryan Presley, but the works of those advocates like Attorney Hyshaw, who carry the banner of Lady Justice as well. The sisters' perspective will give them an ear, a voice, and prayerfully an audience. We will present some unique views on how the justice issues affecting them affect us all. We will create awareness on the ways that farming impacts culture, food access and injustice, and expose ways that we can all be better caretakers of God's land and those who dare to, as Mr. Harvey says, get up before dawn, milk the cows, work all day in the fields, then get up the next day and milk cows again for a living. We, as the Sisters Perspective, will also pledge to support and advocate especially for those African-American farmers who, like Brian Presley still live out a family legacy of farming, as well as those who strive to advocate for them. The sister's perspective also assumes the responsibility 
of giving a viewpoint reflective of the African-American church on topics affecting God's planned paradise as well. So thank you all for listening. A special thanks to Kisa Public Radio. And as we leave you, please remember those famous words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Good night, everyone. Sisters Perspectives is a forum where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The Sisters Perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective.